Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter, and it's Revelation 7, and uh, it's kind of appropriate that it ended up with that number, right? Because this is a, you could say, oh, this is actually pretty brilliant here. I just thought of this. You could say that this is a chapter of numbers uh, because, yes, you've got the 144,000 sealed, and you've got 12,000 here, 12,000 there, 12,000 everywhere, uh, a bunch of uh, these numbers meaning more than just what the number means. And also, I think that there's something that seems to be kind of an allusion to the book of Numbers, um, which you guys might recall we read um, several several months ago. I think it was the first book that we did after the Gospel of John. So you know, what are these connections with all of these numbers um, in, these, in this list here of all the tribes? More than meets the eye. And then after that, you have another vision um, in the heavenly throne room of God with the elders and with the living creatures, those four living creatures we've been talking about. Um, and even even more praise. And then there's this really, really cool moment, which one day I'll figure out how to make into a good children's message. They wash their robes in the blood of the lamb and they come out white, white as snow, you could say. So really good stuff today. Lots of connections to the Old Testament and the numbers. What do they mean? And joining us today, we have our returning guest. We've got Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Good morning, brother. How are you? How are the brothers and sisters in Fort Myers doing? Well, I have to say, I'm not actually at Zion Lutheran Church right now because of right. um, the order that we received yesterday from Governor DeSantis here in Florida, that he is now uh, giving us a stay-at-home order. And so we basically can only go out uh, for the essentials. And I guess they're getting that put together as far as guidelines, and we should have that here shortly. Uh, that starts at midnight tonight. So um, we've been, you know, we've been pretty much uh, following that, a lot of us here in the state, but evidently right. not everyone. And so he was uh, wow. he finally had to put his foot down and say, hey, look, guys, we're serious about this. So, right. so here we go. So I'm at home. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm I'm ready to go at this point. I just I've been scrambling, trying to figure out how to uh, continue, you know, communicating with everybody in the office, yeah, you know, online right. now, and doing it, you know, doing it all from home. And it's it's been a challenge. This is our this is my second full day of doing it from home. Um, you know, obviously there's some essential things we have to get from the office that we cannot do at home that right. we need to you know just run over there and you still you know we're just trying to eliminate that contact and uh, i pray that people are doing this across the u.s otherwise you know if we don't do this as a concerted effort it's just it's not going to be as effective as what uh, all the medical people of course are telling us and i know I'm, I'm probably singing to the choir that we know more about <laughs> this virus than any virus that has ever hit us in this world i mean it's yeah. an amazing thing to me yeah, it really, it really is, and just even the whole notion of a stay-at-home order. I mean, it couldn't really even be communicated and and performed and executed, let alone even imagined, as you were saying, um, without the interconnectivity that we have with, with the internet. Not even just like the internet, but like the way that the internet has matured and developed, and you know, just become ubi totally ubiquitous. Just like so that everyone has it in their pocket. Literally, it's just it's only in this sort of age that you can even kind of imagine us trying to pull this off right but uh, but certainly um, as we talk about thousands and 144,000 you know there are there are thousands of lives that 
that might be saved if we work together. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad to to hear though that you're um, doing okay and that you're you know figuring things out here. I know it's uh, difficult this the stay at home order and it's uh, of course it's been sweeping down the country and we're no strangers to it. <laughs> um, over here on California, we've we've kind of had that for a while. So kind of welcome to the party, Florida. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yes, we will, uh, exactly. by God's grace, we, we can, uh, continue making some progress here together through the book of revelation, very appropriate book for these times. And, uh, and just a second here, actually, we've already got a, a, a caller with some questions here, but before we do that, brother, would you start us off with a prayer for us and for everyone listening and for all our brothers and sisters all over as we get started today? Absolutely. Dear Lord, we're we're in pre- uh, unprecedented times for us in our history, in our time in in this world, and we know that uh, you're still God. You're still there to provide, uh, to give us hope, and we pray especially for all of those across our nation, across our world, uh, that are suffering from this virus. Those who have lost loved ones uh, from this viral enemy. We pray that you would uh, be with those families that uh, have lost uh, people and that somehow, uh, especially with those families that know nothing of Jesus, that they would come to know uh, Christ as Lord and Savior. And and those that do know would continue to grow in the faith and the grace that you have given us, uh, that we might uh, receive all that is promised in your word. And and today we approach your word in Revelation and uh, all that's promised to us as we uh, live now in this day and age, as we move forward to that day when you will come again uh, to bring us to our heavenly home to enjoy an eternal presence, not a distance, but a presence. We praise you also that you have taken the distance away from you in our relationships to the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Continue to bless us as we read this word, as we study this word, as we meditate upon this word, that we might continue always to grow closer in our relationship with you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who has shed his blood to take away the sins of the world, that we might live with you forever. We pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Um, so here we are in Revelation 7, um, and, and this follows on the heels of what we talked about last time with these, uh, I mean, the, the cool thing in the last chapter in Revelation 6, right, um, you have the seven seals, but on, on that fourth seal, right, you've got these uh, these four uh, horsemen, right, and uh, we, we talked about what those um, represent, and um, of course, very appropriate, the last one for our current circumstances. Uh, but we have a caller here. Uh, we got Larry on the line, if we still have him, uh, who had a couple of uh, thoughts about Revelation 6, which is good uh, to be thinking about the previous chapter as we get started today. Larry, uh, what do you got for us today? Good morning, brother. Uh, good morning to uh, Pastor Dieter Ding and also yourself. Um, and looking at Revelation, I have a, a, a little different rendering than what you talked about with the pastor from Grace Chapel on Tuesday, which was okay. pre-recorded. Which was pre-recorded, and it took me a little <laughs> bit to figure out nobody was going to uh, answer the phone. Yes, yes. Anyways, yeah, I want yeah, to share this. I want to be brief because I don't want to take away from Revelation seven. But here's how I here's what I've come up with. I've studied ten different. Uh, commentators, Franzman, Beckers, Peter, Goosewine, Poole, Austin uh-huh. Brown, Charles Wadsworth, Matthew Henry, Kretzman, and Brighton. Six yep. of the six out of the ten say it's Christ or the gospel. Seven, yep. three say it's secular. 
and Kratzman didn't really offer opinion one way or another. So sure. I look at the white horse. I look at the white horse as gospel or Christ. And how do I substantiate that? Everyone wants to put his put everything on the bow. We can't limit Christ's ability to use anything in his arsenal. He could use a ball if he wants to. He's God. Sure. And you sure. substantiate how how is that so? 1911 Lutherans Scripture interpreting Scripture, and I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and is in his righteousness he does judge and make war. The, the gospel is basically it's good news, but it brings about war. And when Christ went out on the on to, when he, in his earthly state, it was it got him killed. They thought they yeah. they it got him killed because he was God. So the red horse represents aggression. And I'm sure as pastors, maybe down the line or in the fourth, you've dealt with a heretic who who attacked the gospel in the church. And then thirdly, the black horse, and if you go to Amos 11 and 12, it talks about spiritual famine. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. So I, I render that the black horse represents spiritual famine. And from spiritual mm. famine, we go to spiritual death, the pale horse. In America, we use that phrase, green in the gills, sick, spiritual sickness. So mm. I think that the white horse definitely, and if you look at the word, if you use the word white all through Revelation, it mm. always represents purity, Christ's righteousness, the throne, on and on and on. And mm. I can't see how we can surmise that the bow, and there's many things that God did where he only used one thing in his span of whatever the word you want to use mm-hmm. there. So I think I think that the white represents Jesus Christ. And that's my comments. All right. Yeah, thanks, Larry. I appreciate that. And I really do appreciate, too, your approach, you know, in Scripture, interpreting Scripture, and, and really trying to, you know, take a look at everything and say, you know, uh, you know, we're not going to pin everything just on, okay, just like the weapon he has to be holding, right, or something like that. I think it's a, it's a good, like, wide approach, a responsible approach, and of course, uh, very thorough. You named a lot of good commentaries there, um, a n- number of the ones that, that I think that, that myself and a lot of the, the pastors who are on the program um, frequently reference, so uh, not at all uh, a bad uh, set of company that you're in. Uh, just to put a, a little bit more context for everybody who maybe wasn't listening um, last time that we had this uh, on Tuesday, like like Larry said, that was actually pre-recorded. But right, um, you know, we were talking about those four horses, and we saw that those four horses, you know, there's different colors. There's the, the white, the red, the black, and then you know we talked about this that there's kind of this. You know, what what do you make of this other one? Is it is it green? Is it gray? Right, kind of different ways of rendering that. But the, the big interpretive question, as Larry was getting to, is are these representing secular powers that you know create um, you know real like physical temporal problems on Earth um, as as we you know have seen since you know since sin entered the world, um, or is it talking about something else like? as Larry was suggesting, maybe a more like kind of spiritual perspective. And, and if you, depending on which take you go with, you can kind of see that as uh, that white horse being like the same white horse that occurs later in revelation in revelation 19, like Larry mentioned, that maybe it represents Christ. 
Um, the other way would be saying, hey, if it's representing physical things, maybe this represents, you know, a tyrannical rulers, those who, you know, appear splendorous and glorious, um, but really who rule with an iron fist. And so those two different ways of taking it. And uh, yeah, I think Larry represented the other way of taking it well. And I won't repeat what we already said uh, last time, but check it out if you if you are curious. Uh, Revelation chapter six. I think there's some good reasons um, for for taking it as uh, temporal powers, comparing it to to Zechariah and and uh, some other good stuff. But yeah, check that out on the podcast. Just whatever your podcast app is, just search for uh, Thy Strong, and it should be the first hit um, that you see. Also, you can always just check check out the website kfu.org. If you uh, go off on to, if you go on to kfuo.org and just search in the search box. Uh, for thy strong word, or, or if you look in the menus, you can pull up the archives. So, uh, so yeah, good stuff in Revelation six. Now we're on the Revelation seven, um, brother Pastor Dieter Ding. Yeah, so th- the situation changes a little bit. We're not talking about the writers anymore. That's it's kind of we've made a strong transition here. The first words are after this, right? Both in the English translation and in the Greek. There, um, just different situation here and um yeah like what do you what do you think about how this transition is getting made here let's let's go ahead and just read maybe the uh maybe just actually if i can just read the first three verses here and you can give us your thoughts on um you know what what kind of shift um do we have before us here so we're putting the the four horsemen behind here and here's just the first three verses uh and then i want you if you if you would weigh in after i get these read here so first three verses of Revelation chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay. So, okay. so very different picture, but the number four comes up again. So yeah, your thoughts. So, I mean, here, here you go. I mean, we, we're moving from the chapter on the seven seals and, uh, you know, the writers and so forth. We, we get the, the picture very clearly of God's wrath and judgment uh, as it comes up on the earth, and then uh, that's very much following up on the whole law aspect of God bringing everything to a close here on the last day, and and making sure that uh, you know He fulfills the promises that He had made concerning those who uh, remained among the unbelievers, those who continued to reject Him, uh, a world that uh, He said would be uh, completely um, you know obliviated. And now we move over, and you, you see the very last word word up there in uh, on the 17th verse of chapter 6, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You know, that mm. boom, you know, we get that whole law, uh, you know, kind of concluding there in that chapter. And now uh, we're going to see the, the, the gospel side of things, what, what this means for those who are saved or being saved. Uh, and so this is the beginning of that that we see here, uh, you know, God holding back, uh, you know, the, the winds and 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 the might of of of, uh, of His power of judgment to now um, really protecting those who are part of His servants, those who um, are among the believers. 
Yeah, that's actually, that, that's really good. I didn't notice that about the standing too. I mean, that really is quite the juxtaposition that in, in chapter six, you've got your, your four horsemen who uh, they go and they, and they do all this. And then there's this judgment, right, on, on the kings and then the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, right, like, like we talked about. Um, right. And, and, and it's who, who can stand. And then what's he see? Uh, after this, I saw four angels standing, Right. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, right. it's kind of like he answers right. the question, like who can stand? Well, these angels can. I, I mean, so, I mean, to your, to your point then about this contrast between, you know, this judgment um, that you have in chapter six and then here, I mean, that this mercy that you know, there's this idea of, Hey, don't, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Right. Until we seal these servants of our God. So, I mean, the, the protection idea, you know, you've got the wrath of the lamb, in chapter six, um, the, the wrath of the lamb, by the way, or the lamb's wrath. I feel like this would make a good movie title, but, um, just, right. just kind of file that away. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so you've got that. And then, and then there really is a, a really strong contrast. I mean, I do feel like that kind of complements what we were saying actually last time about, um, you know, kind of contrasting maybe the temporal and then here, maybe the spiritual, but, but, uh, right. So, so here there's this, this sparing idea because, uh, yeah, the wrath of the lamb yeah. is not meant to, uh, just wipe out everybody. It's not indiscriminate, um, but like Noah's flood, right? Like God seeks to spare a remnant in the midst of the destruction. Yeah, and that's exactly what we see here. You know, he's holding back. You see that those words in, in the very first verse and the second verse, you see that he's, uh, you know, calling with a loud voice, um, you know, to not to harm, you know, to, to basically, again, hold back. We see that in verse three, do not harm you know, the creation of God uh, until what? We have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Um, this is the reason that we, uh, this is one of the reasons, I should say, I don't know you know, how strict this is, but uh, it reminds us of the sealing, uh, uh, those who have been sealed for eternity, as those among those who are being saved, um, we put we place the sign of the cross both upon the forehead and upon the heart of those who are being baptized, and we say to mark them, to mark them of one who has been forgiven, one who has been saved, who have received the salvation promised by Christ Jesus. So, um, so we we believe that in in that in that act in that in those words that we use at baptism that we are reminded of this fact that we are sealed. Uh, because Christ promises salvation through baptism. Now, we know it's more than that, and we know that uh, it's uh, by faith and baptism, as Mark reminds us in 16.16 of his gospel. But uh, when we think of those who have been sealed, this is what we think of those who have received uh, God's grace, mercy, and blessing. Um, And in the Old Testament, it was through circumcision, and in the New Testament, it's through baptism. Uh, So it's all of this Israel. And the Israel that we're looking at here, even though um, we see see how the original people of God, the Hebrews, the Jews, how they will be the chosen ones, we now are also looking in terms of this is the new Israel, the the, the Israel of right. all who are being saved. Right. Well, yeah, no, yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, well, you yeah, know, and, and we'll turn there in just a second. I appreciate your comments. So connecting it to like our liturgical practice, uh, make, as you're saying in baptism, making the sign upon 
the forehead and upon the heart. Right. And, um, and of course that's not something that like we like made up or something like that. The ESV is very helpful here. Um, you've got like a note on foreheads there, footnote Z in my copy of the ESV here. Um, and it'll take you to some chapters in Ezekiel, right. Where there's some talk about, um, marking on of foreheads and, uh, and of course there's, there's uh, more, Old Testament background than than that even about different kinds of markings and then different kinds of uh right. you know even clothing or um that that would you know kind of mark one like on on the head or um things like this so yeah good connections there and and, and it's those connections that help us see this kind of new uh, New Testament people of God ultimate Old Testament people of God idea as you were just saying and we, we've seen that already with the elders uh, we remember a couple chapters ago we were introduced to these elders, 24. What's the significance there? Well, like 12 and 12, right? You got, you got 12 sons of Jacob. You got 12 apostles chosen by the Lord Jesus, right? So that the idea that, you know, it's the it's really all part of the same plan. It's all part of the same uh, book of life, right? And so speaking of, yep. you know, names in the book of life, well, here you go. Let, let's go ahead and read the rest of this section here, just the next um, few verses beginning at verse four and talk about these names and these numbers here. So picking it up at verse four. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. All right. So this is, uh, you know, this is maybe going to be a little bit like the four horsemen last time where everybody's got their own ideas. Um, but let's let's just go yeah right but let, let's go ahead and just kind of try to i i don't know like there i think there are some obvious things we can start with right um and then maybe kind of go from there so your, your thoughts here on these numbers and these names and, and and as i've you know i remember back in uh, joshua and then also in numbers i would always point out hey whenever you have a list pay attention to the order of the names so yeah your thoughts so there's a lot there's a number of of, of uh quote christian religions that believe in this whole idea of dispensationalism and uh in these uh, this understanding of dispensations they really start to interpret numbers and revelation literalistically to the point that uh, this is exactly who are going to be there this number 1444 um and and so uh, to those religions that teach that, that is not what has been understood as this has been handed down, uh, especially from our early church fathers, um, right. that this these numbers are such that as they are used, and I'm sure you've covered this already in previous chapters, maybe with some of the other pastors, that when you use the numbers, any of the numbers within Revelation, they're always be used in a symbolic manner because this is not... Uh, literalistic language. It is a vision. It's a vision that has a lot of symbolism. I mean, this is packed full of symbols and metaphors and allegories. It 
that point us to things that will uh, culminate in the future and that will will happen and, and may have already happened in, in right. many ways. But it's just a picture. It's a it's an overall sweeping picture that God is still in control of all things, right. and that things are going to be perfectly brought to their completion in the end, in the, those final days, in that last day. And that's what these numbers represent. If you look that's through right. and see, I mean, it's the twelve tribes. You've got the twelve thousand from each of the twelve tribes, and and it goes on on and on. It's always. It's, I think it's always safest to try and look. And, and I might be stepping out of bounds here, but always to look at what did those at the feet of the disciples who learned what Christ was saying when, meant whenever he said those those things that he said. Uh, how about with John? You know, what did the early that's interpreters right. of this understand John to be saying? And that's and then so that's what we keep pulling back to. That's, right. that's what we keep going back to to, to understand uh, because. The further away that we get, and I mean all the way even till today, we've got people still saying that the Lord has put it on me and the Holy Spirit's given me a special yeah. uh, you know, vision in order to interpret, and, and, and on and on. And we've got so many different interpretations, of, especially right. when the numbers get involved and the names and the places, and we yeah. try to make connections that, to things in our literal world, and it's not. this is not what this is about. Yeah, no, I really like what you're saying, that maybe we don't need necessarily a new interpretation, but to remember some of the old ones for good reasons. Um, I, I want to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit more. we got to take our short break here, but everybody hang with us. We're looking at Revelation chapter 7 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministry, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the Executive Director of KFUO Radio. We are all impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. All of the KFUO staff is practicing social distancing by working from home offices and temporary home studios. Our promise to you is that we will continue to bring you the word of Christ in our programming and worship services, the clear message that we've been proclaiming since 1924. During this worldwide pandemic, we will continue to share the comfort of Scripture, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. That's from Psalm 46, 1. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. And rest assured that when you turn on the radio, click on our live stream, or download your favorite podcast, we will be here proclaiming Christ for you anytime, anywhere. KFUO.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. 
I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 7. Just read this part about the 144,000 sealed. Um, looking at this number symbolism, you got these numbers 4, 7, 12, 1,000. Actually, we need to talk about what 1,000 is, right? Um, there's a lot of things going on here, a lot of te- connections to the Old Testament. We're joined today by Pastor Curtis Dieterding pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Florida, you were just saying, brother, uh, you know, now under the stay-at-home order. So figuring out how to do things at home, as many of you listening have already been doing here. Uh, If you've got a question for me or for Pastor Deirding, this is a great opportunity. A lot of us, you know, don't have the luxury of being able to uh, be together face to face for our Bible studies, but it is nice that we can do some of this Bible reading and study together, at least over the phone, over the internet. So if you've got a question for us, you give us a call if you're listening live, 1 800 730 2727. If you're in St. Louis, 314 821 0850. Or you can always send an email with your questions or comments. KFUO at KFUO.org. Also want to give a shout out to our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support. Their website is LHFmissions.org. Uh, check out their their website here. They, they just recently put a bunch of um, really uh, cool updates on there on the website under the, like the news section and on the, the homepage. Uh, you got a really cool, a really cool story about coming to faith in the midst of a of an ice detention center, right? I mean, so there there are so many stories of good things happening um, in the midst of uh, so much chaos here, and sometimes it's in times like these where you really need to be reminded of a lot of the good work and uh, the good things that God is up to here. So, uh, thank you, lhfmissions.org here. Um, and then also just want to, before I forget here, uh, just want to uh, make sure that uh, I mentioned that next week's um, uh, next week's programs are, I think are pretty much all going to be recorded. Um, I'm not sure if it's like every single one of them or, or most of them, but there won't be as many opportunities in any case to call in. So I know that's uh, that's a bummer. So you'll have to kind of just hold on to it there. Um, but then the next week, Lord willing, we'll be back at it for some more live conversation. So uh, returning here to Revelation chapter 7, brother, you were just um, pointing out to us, you know, hey, you know, this was written by the Apostle John. Um, you know, we, we seem to have good um, a good sense that the Apostle John was the youngest of the apostles or one of the youngest. Uh, he may have been one of the ones to, I mean, outlive the rest. I mean, so there were a lot of early church fathers who personally knew him and personally, um, you know, studied under him. Of course, the people who he knew personally would have the best insights um, on what all this stuff means. And so as you were saying, it's just the whole book. The numbers have been symbolic, right? And, and of course, why should they be any different here? And that's exactly, of course, what the early church has said. And so taking a look at what some of those numbers might represent, you were starting to, um, you know, of course, four at the beginning. That And it kind of actually just decodes it um, itself, right? Four representing the four corners, the totality of the earth. Um, when, we, when we talk about the four horsemen, you know, they're, they're the ones that are all over the earth, right? The powers that be. Um, you talk about the the four living creatures, right? All of creation, right? All the creatures in God's creation that he has made, right? So four representing that kind of um, totality of the earth. Um, seven representing the work of God. 
um, 12 representing the people of God, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. a thousand here. And um, yeah, see, this is the, the, you should tell me what you think here, but this is what really got me thinking among a couple things um, of the Old Testament, because we just read uh, Joshua not too long ago before we read um, Haggai and Zechariah. Um, and, you know, like I said, we also read Numbers. And in, in those books, thousands were very, very commonly used when you're talking about armies, when you're talking about battles, when you're talking about troops, when you're talking about people of God on the march, on the move, right? Um, I mean, right. a thousand is like a, it's like a unit of a, a squad or, or something like this, right? So to be talking about these thousands, it, it's like we're talking about, I don't, I don't know, this is kind of feels like a census getting ready for, for war, or something like that, you know, like we're getting ready for battle. And in fact, in Revelation, like, well, we're going to be talking about a battle um, coming up. And when you have this big um, total here, as reminds me of Ezekiel 37, which we just read in church on Sunday, right? Um, in the Valley of the Dry Bones. And, you know, how are they raised up? They were raised up as uh, a great army, it says. So, yeah, I mean, I think a thousand even is meant to symbolize something here. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I believe that it is. It's the uh, you know it's getting it's getting set up. It's uh, we it's getting ready for um, you know to to finally uh, complete all of what God is uh, preparing for the end times here. Um, you know, I was I was uh, looking earlier at um, the ESV's uh, outline of this segment and this portion of the scripture, and uh, I like really how they kind of show us that. Uh, you know, it's understood that in, in chapters six through eight, and, and actually only a portion of chapter eight, that it's one of three scenes that set up the end times. And the first yeah. scene is Christ opening the seven seals, as I'm sure you have mentioned, as mm-hmm. you were talking about chapter six yesterday, and now coming through chapter seven into chapter eight is what that first scene of the end times, as they as they describe it here. And then there's two more scenes coming up, and this is setting it up. This is getting set up for those other scenes, right. the, the 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 scenes of the you know really ushering it in through the blowing of the trumpets, and eventually uh, the battle, the battle that actually right. happens uh, between God and the enemy. You know, so uh, so it's just really uh, interesting. We're we're just kind of getting this all set up. It's almost like you're like you're putting it. You know, like we're setting up for a battle that uh, right. that we're getting prepared. And uh, prepared for this big, um, this big battle that's going to take place, uh, which will uh, culminate into everything that God puts together in judgment as we right. move to that last day. Well, and I, and I thank you too for adding some of those other um, ideas that help contextualize this. You know, like it's just kind of like the way that Larry was approaching things earlier when he was calling in. When you're interpreting this stuff, you know, you don't just take a look at one single detail. You try to look at a bunch of the things and, and see, you know, kind of kind of trace a, a line through all the dots, right? And just like you were saying, right. brother, um, this is this is all happening, right? Kind of in the middle of the sequence of the seven seals, right? It's like don't let's not forget we were starting off with these seven seals, right? Um, there was this opening up. We had like the, uh, you know, the, the the fourth seal, and then we had the writers. Then we, we did five and six. And hang on, what happened to the the seventh? Right. Well, it's coming, right? Right. right. So, so, so this yep. is this is this is a an interlude. This is a getting ready. Um, as you were saying, uh, we got something. We got something coming up um, in in chapter eight, and we've got trumpets, like you said, and and trumpets again, another kind of 
military um, image, right? Like you had those, those trumpets. I mean, they were they were very key throughout Joshua and throughout Numbers. Um, you know, another thing in the text here, there's two other things, actually, I think that point to this kind of uh, military setup idea. Um, one, what which tribe is mentioned first? It's the tribe of Judah. Um, and, and that's very particular because we saw in Numbers, um, the first census that you had in Numbers, Reuben was first just by birth order. Um, but right. then here, Judah comes first, like we saw later in Numbers when they were talking about how they would go and set out on the march, right? Judah was going to lead the march. He was going to be in that front position um, as they were marching around and, and then later as they'd be going into battle. And so um, that Reuben goes uh, second, you know, after Judah. Uh, so it kind of also is along the same lines. And then there was one other thing that maybe somebody caught as you were listening here. Back in verse two, that term, the rising of the sun, um, which is which is pretty um, interesting. Um, it of course, um, just if you just listen to like the phrase in Greek, Anatole Eliu, um, those are those are names that are dear to my heart. Um, but that's a phrase um, that you saw in Joshua that kind of specifically means the eastern border. Um, so you've kind of got this idea already of like, hang on a second, like, you know, something's going on, something's coming from the eastern border, the eastern border with what? Well, with the with the enemies of God's people. So, I mean, there's so many things that are already pointing us. It's like, hey, guys, remember Numbers and Joshua? It's that again. Uh, this is this kind of preparatory description, as you were saying, of, hey, this is what the church is doing. This is the church militant. This is us now as we have been, um, you know, getting getting ready and being prepared by God himself. Yeah, I think that I think that image of the, the rising of the sun also you know, just kind of says to us, there's a new day coming. There's a new day dawning. And uh, it's a it's a new day that uh, culminates into uh, the day that we will be together with God and, and with with, uh, with His in His presence forever. So I mean, it's just kind of interesting. Even there's, I, I think there's layers sometimes uh, as you're reading through this, and sometimes you, know, you got to be careful as to, to give an exact meaning to each of these uh, ideas and symbols and so forth, because uh, it's so it, there's so much here. There's so much packed yeah. into this. That uh, you know, you could dissect this uh, over and over, and uh, probably actually maybe see things that you hadn't seen before. Uh, I know I always have that experience every time that I go through the Book of Revelation, and uh, of all the commentaries that uh, that the gentleman who was on earlier mentioned, and one of my favorite, of course, is that of Lewis Brighton. Uh, yeah. I was very blessed to have him for the the class of Re- on Revelation. And uh, it was just phenomenal, the things that uh, he had researched and studied in the past of all the different meanings and so forth, and right. and how they all connected together. It was just, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, experience to go through Revelation, which is a, a very confusing book, because it's, it's, not, uh, it's not completely clear to people um, as you read through it. It's, it's something that you have to be uh, truly paying attention to what you know the early church was saying concerning these things because I, I i would have a very difficult time to believe anything that goes too much further beyond that because 
the ones who are closest, like I said, to John, uh, those are the ones that I would uh, put most of my faith in, just like I would with any history. You know, you would yeah. always uh, go with the ones that uh, that are more firsthand witnesses and uh, truly are the ones that have uh, given us this revelation to begin with. Right. You know, and there's a, there's a lot. Um, yeah, that there's some wisdom in there for us. You don't you don't want to like, you know, try to turn this into like a, a code book with your decoder ring to the point of like, you know, it's like we're the first per- people to ever have understood this. Right. You know, it's like you were saying, like right. the Apostle John was, you know, writing this stuff. Uh, I mean, like he was communicating this stuff on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you know, his church would understand it, right? So, I mean, you, you got to be interpreting it in, in the same line of tradition and not, you know, coming up with something that, you know, no one's ever thought of before. So, um, you know, you, you certainly you need a measure of humility. But um, as you were saying, too, there's always just more um, that we that we kind of miss and forget and something that we always kind of learn every time we open it up. Um, we, we do have actually a, a caller here. It's actually uh, Larry calling again. And you know what? Well, you know, we didn't let you call in on Tuesday, right? So, okay, it seems fair. Uh, go, you go, you go ahead if you want a couple of thoughts here about Revelation so, seven here, brother. So I, I, I have a quick question, but I want to, like Pastor Dieter said, add to the confusion. So I'm going to add to the confusion. So here right. we go. So in Numbers, it mentions the twelve tribes. Have you went over? It mentions Dan and Ephraim. In Revelation, it omits Dan and Ephraim and replaces them with Levi and Joseph. What are we to make of that? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. You allowed Larry to double dip today. I know. I know. Just just because, you know, it was pre-recorded on Tuesday, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to be a stickler here. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you, Larry. That's a really good question. And actually, I was really hoping that somebody would ask that question. (laughs) It's always nice when that happens. So do you have an answer for Larry on that one then? (laughs) Um, You know, I got I got some thoughts. Yeah. um, You know, I mean, going going back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, going back to what you were saying, you know, about like the church fathers here, I mean, um, I mean, this is this has been a question that the church fathers, you know, took up. And, you know, you got like, you know, back to like, you know, Irenaeus, right, who was uh, looking here. And um, there's 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 this old tradition, actually, that the Antichrist comes from the tribe of Dan um, for several reasons. Um, but uh, so there's this idea that that's the reason why Dan's left out. Um, Ephraim also has a number of connections, um, to Dan. Like if you look in judges, which we, we didn't uh, take a look at yet, but, um, like in judges like 17, for example, you see some stuff where like the Ephraimites and the Danites, um, kind of, kind of have a, a, maybe somewhat of a cozier relationship. So there, there's old traditions like that. I, I think if you just look at though, what we just read and talked about already, when we were looking at um, looking at Dan, uh, looking at Dan and, and jo- Joshua, rather, you know, they stand out because they they lost um, their inheritance. You know, I mean, God was commanding, like, you know, um, be strong, courageous. You know, have faith. You know, like, I mean, that that's why um, the tribes of um, Ephraim and uh, jo- uh, Judah, sorry, were originally commended, right? Because Caleb and Joshua you know, had faith and, and they didn't say like, oh yeah, we're way stronger. Or, oh yeah, we got them outgunned. But they said, hey, look who's fighting for us, right? And so um, that 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 loss of their inheritance uh, and then resettling, you know, way up north and they, they kind of took this 
uh, this land or the city from like these poor people who like weren't even really, I mean, ready for a battle. They weren't even like, I mean, we're, we're really a peaceful people and they just, you know, conquered that and say, okay, this is our inheritance now. Um, you, you look at like, there was a, there was a golden calf that was later again, set up in Israel's history. That's connected to Dan again. So there's uh and of course there's my kind of favorite one, which is that in the, um, blessings, um, uh, this was, no, I'm trying to get this straight. Cause it was the one that was from Moses and it was the one that was given from Jacob, their father, but Dan's connected to a serpent there. <laughs> and of course, serpent, uh, that's not a good thing in the book of revelation anyway. So I think that there's a, a few reasons why basically Dan is kind of representing actually here, the apostate people of God, the people who were among the people of God, but they turned to a different path. Um, and so I think that his exclusion is deliberate here. And so I think that he's actually been replaced um, with Levi, who was one who we thought would get no inheritance, right, but is mercifully being given one. Um, and then, of course, uh, to kind of like make, make this all kind of uh, line, line up too, um, you've got, uh, it's interesting because it's the tribe of Joseph, right, which which is really, I mean, that is Ephraim, right? I mean, like Ephraim is um, the, um, if I from getting this straight, uh, yeah, he he was the one who got the the, the firstborn um, blessing from uh, Joseph, and so I mean, it, he, Ephraim's not really necessarily excluded. I mean, it's kind of like my feeling on it. So this is a way of kind of you know uh, replacing Dan, kind of symbolizing apostasy, right? The danger of idolatry, which we had warned about in the letters to the seven churches, right? So I think it's very deliberate. Um, and that was a really long way of saying that, but, uh, kind of representing that idolatry apostasy, but then the merciful inclusion of those who we thought God had forgotten about, but he hasn't. So your thoughts, brother. Well, as you shared all of that, it was all coming back to me. (laughs) I did not look at, I did not look into the history of all of that. Uh, I I knew that there was a reason why they had uh, been, um, set apart, you know, from the other tribes. And uh, as you were, you know, looking and, and as you were uh, saying that, um, obviously, uh, uh, you know, a lot of that history was coming back. It's been a while since I've uh, looked into that to, to understand fully. So I'm glad that uh, that you were prepared for that for that question, because I surely wasn't. Um, and uh, um, maybe we should think about whether or not we allow people to double dip in the future. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I know. Just, I was, I guess I was feeling did, nice you, right there, but you know, <laughs> you, you, you answered that very, you answered that very well, very thorough too. And uh, well, I, I appreciate it as well. It's a, it's a well, good refresh, refreshing, uh, um, uh, reminder of what, uh, what went on there right. with those tribes. Right. Well, and you know, I, I mean, I think it really, it's just, you know, this, this is the stuff that you, like you were saying, you know, like if you haven't read the the Old Testament in a while, like it's the stuff that doesn't, you're like kind of like, and then what was that, right? But that's been the nice thing about what we're doing on Nice Strong. We're reading lots of the Old Testament, which is, you know, three quarters of the Bible, right? right? Uh, right. Because when you're reading yeah. stuff like Numbers and Joshua, like those are all the connections that just come back to you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, maybe that's what he was talking about. Because guess what? <laughs> the people who wrote the New Testament, they like to read the Old Testament, right? So... Uh, <clears throat> lots of good things there, but let's go ahead and read now, since we don't have that much time here. Uh, probably probably no more questions, everybody, so if you were thinking about it, um, sure. Larry beat you to the punch. You'll have to wait till next time. Uh, <clears throat> but we're going to read the rest of the chapter here, and yeah, so try to take a look at this here, because it's really cool stuff here, uh, more Old Testament connections. So, verse 9 to the end of chapter 7. 
After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So, just... I mean, I don't know. I feel like I say this every chapter we look at, just one of the most beautiful parts of all of Scripture. I mean, just Revelation's just like that. It just paints this picture, ties so many things together, all these echoes from Isaiah, right? You know, we, we, we read Isaiah, and, you know, here you had an echo there from Isaiah 49 um, with the, you know, like the hunger and thirst no more, right? There was the uh, bit at the end, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes from Isaiah, what was it, 21? So, like, mm-hmm. all these different threads, right, just all coming together, so many things here. Um, you know, only have time to really make a couple of highlights, but uh, what jumps out at you, brother? Yeah, I just, you know, this always reminds me of, of uh, a lot of what we do within our worship services. I'm always, I'm always uh, amazed that, um, you know, when we get to the, the portion where we're talking about God and His almightiness, uh, as we're preparing for uh, the uh, receiving of, of Christ's very body and blood, you know, we're, we uh, we talk about uh, singing together and, and serving God in worship uh, in, 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 in all that we do by uh, lifting up our voices with the angels and archangels with all the company mm-hmm. of heaven. And, we, and the company of heaven, including all saints of all times, uh, those who sing th- those words with us as well. I know that that's uh, in other places of the scripture where we get that picture probably even more so but here i just reminded of that again uh that uh, these that are standing before the throne of god are those who are the believers the saints those who um are are among the saved and uh, that would include all of us who believe and have faith in christ as well and, and, right. and all the saints throughout all times so when I see these words, I, I see that they're they're connected to all of us. And uh, whenever they're talking about every nation, every tribe and peoples of all languages standing before the throne, um, you know, I think of my uh, my own family of, of, of those who died in the faith, those who have been dying, you know, have died in the faith all the way back. And uh, what a beautiful picture! What a beautiful salvation picture of uh, of, the, yeah. of those that are standing around. Right. Yeah, no, it, it's so much more of this like creation language, this this total all-encompassing language, you know, the 
the elders and the living creatures, what do, what do they shout? Another sevenfold blessing, right? It's actually, you got to count the words here. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might. Seven again, right? So that, that complete work right. of God with the with the four creatures that represents, you know, all living creatures, right? Like in heaven and on earth and under the earth, right? Um, all of creation. So it's that, it's that big kind of, um, you know, creation language from the very beginning, that kind of fulfillment language of, Hey, like everyone's brought into this. Um, and then again, actually, again, this is really something it's, it's the old Testament language of numbers and Joshua, like in, in uh, verse 15 there, um, it says there, right. And he sits mm-hmm. uh, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That is a unique word there. Um, in Greek, shelter, that's the word that only occurs um, in, in two other places in the New Testament, um, in later on in Revelation, and then in John chapter 1 in the prologue, where, where um, the, the, the word of God became man and tabernacled among us. I mean, it's more oh, of this yeah. tabernacle yeah. language that um, is used to refer to the incarnation, right? That like, even though... Um, you know, at, at times like this, especially, we kind of maybe relate to those Old Testament people who are in the wilderness wandering with a tabernacle and not a permanent temple. Well, even right. in the midst of all that, um, I mean, the Lord Jesus himself was among them as he is among us, even at these times. Um, just like 30 seconds here, brother, um, just a concluding thought here, maybe on, on the chapter as we look at it, a whole chapter seven. Yeah, I, I think as we're moving toward Palm Sunday, that uh, you know we hear the the the, uh, the words about the palm branches in their hands, yeah. and we are already starting to celebrate. We're already getting ready to uh, celebrate uh, again what Christ has done whenever He's come in as King of King, Lord of Lords, to go and give Himself as a sacrifice for us for the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. And and when we sing Hosanna, we're singing now He comes to save. You know He saves That's us. Right. And uh, that's the salvation that we look forward to that brings us to this beautiful, beautiful multitude that stands before the throne of our of our Lord. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you and, and transition here and figuring everything out and bless your uh, preparation for Easter. And to you as well. It's always a joy. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor at Zion Lutheran Church at in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We are looking at Revelation chapter 8 next time. Uh, Take advantage of these opportunities to call in live while we still have them. Good stuff. Moving on to that seventh and final seal. Until then, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.